This podcast is sponsored by Speaker Rocks Media, where we hand-build podcasts just like this one to create online communities for brands like yours. If you'd like to learn more, head over to speakerboxmedia.com. If you own a business and you're doing it just for the money, you could ever be successful. You're chasing the wrong thing. You have to enjoy doing what you're doing. For me, I want to build something. That's really what gives me the fuel to get up every day and go to work. There's never a day where I dread going to work and that's wonderful. This is the thing that really drives me the most is I want to build something. I want to look back at my time and say, hey, I did that. Welcome to the B2B Growth Hacks Podcast, the show that helps entrepreneurs like you unlock opportunities for growth in business. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, and this is B2B Growth Hacks, a podcast powered by Speakerbox Media. Welcome back to another episode of B2B Growth Hacks. We are in our Command Shift series, and I'm so excited to welcome our guests today. Today, I'm talking to Hami Vo Arrington, founder of One Foot Over and the 2021-2022 AMA Houston president. Hami, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I'm excited to get this conversation started, so we're going to jump right in. Tell me something about you, Hami, that most people might not know. I grew up in a very small town. And I lived with my grandparents and we were the only Asian family in that town. The town was so small. There were only two blinking lights. We were the Asian family. (laughs) (laughs) So when we went to school or when I went to school and my uncle, they were like part of the Asian family. (laughs) And then I lived with my grandmother and they came over here because of war in Vietnam So my grandmother, she saved everything and she always wanted to make more money to send back to Vietnam. And so we would also walk on the side of the road and pick up cans (laughs) so that we can turn them in for recycling. And so I think we were probably the Asian family, but also the weird family in town. But, you know, it really shaped the way that I grew up. I loved that I had that experience growing up and that wasn't always the case. I was ashamed of it for a while, but now, you know, looking back and having the experiences that I've had, I can see why and how that is just interesting to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. And foundational really to who you are. Tell me a little bit about your early experience as an Asian American (laughs) child and teenager. What was that like? I grew up in this town, Wascom, Texas. And then somewhere along the line, I moved to Shreveport, Louisiana, which is just across the border from Wascom. And I was, again, still one of the only Asian people in town. And so I had, you know, American friends and in my friend group, I was two Vietnamese, right? I mean, I was like two Asian. I wasn't American enough. So I really felt like I didn't belong there. Mm-hmm. But then when I went home and was in my house, we were very Vietnamese, but then I had all of the American traits, you know, I grew up watching American TV, having American friends. And so when I was at home, I also felt out of place. It shaped who I was for a long time into my 20s, into my early 30s. Again, it was a a bit of shame. Maybe shame is a strong word for what I was feeling, but it definitely wasn't something that I relished in. A feeling that I wanted, you know, I always wanted to be like my American friends or maybe even more like my Vietnamese family, but it's just like I was kind of stuck in the middle. And so because I was surrounded by Americans, I really embraced the American side and really kind of tried to hide away a lot of the Vietnamese part of me. And I never wanted that also to 
hold me back in any way whenever I was in a business situation or at school or anything like that. And so somewhere along the line, I picked up an Emily Post book (laughs) and I'd learned somewhere that the Emily Post book, that that's where all the rules were, right? Things that I didn't get, I wasn't taught when I was growing up, but I figured that all of my American friends were. So I had this Emily Post book, read through it when I was a teenager and then all through my twenties and really figured out really what would the social norm if you were an American, quote unquote, American household, you know, if you grew up in an American household, it turns out that not everybody even knows about Emily Post. And so I know a lot more like the formalities than a lot of people do. So it's really kind of funny how that's turned out. Yeah, for sure. I definitely have never heard of the Emily Post etiquette book, but can totally relate to that experience being a third generation Mexican-American and feeling caught in the middle of two different spaces. You engage in them equally. You spend a lot of time in school and around your friends and a lot of time at home. Tell me how that's transitioned now as you've become a businesswoman and now you're spending half your time in business (laughs) and half your time at home. How has that shown up or kind of manifested in your life now being an Asian American? I think that growing up, again, being half American, you know, American life and then my Vietnamese home life, I always felt that those were separate things. Mm. And that's the way I approached my home life and then my work life as well as two separate entities. I had a friend, Summer Austin, that I met through AMA Houston, American Marketing Association Houston, worked with her on some things. And I always looked at it as a professional organization, but we became friends. And I feel like she really taught me that you don't have to have two separate lives. Mm -hmm. They can commingle, coexist and overlap each other a lot of times. And since then, I have learned that I like to have a balance of both. And that doesn't mean that they're separate. It means that I can jump in and out of conversations, in and out of relationships, business and personal. It really has played well in my professional life and my personal life. In my professional life, a lot of my clients are friends and we actually hang out outside of doing work together. And and the way that we collaborate together in work is great because we already have that rapport, that relationship and know that we trust each other. And so that really has helped propel one foot over in our business. And then also my business partner, who again, I met through AMA Houston, we're best friends and we also do business together. And I think that's also why it works so well is because we already have that chemistry and we trust each other and we can be honest with each other without having to act like we're robots, you know, at work or at home, because if I have something that's going on in my personal life, Stephen understands and vice versa. Yeah. And you often say this, it always makes me laugh, is that you're one of the most diverse agencies and we can go into why, but I think it's amazing the combination between you and Steven because the perspective that you bring is so diverse. Tell us where DE and I <laughs> is very apparent at one foot over. DEI is super important to us. Well, I mean, because we naturally, I'm an Asian American woman, cisgender And Stephen is part of the LGBTQ community and Caucasian man. So we always joke that we are the most, when we first started, we were the most diverse agency in the country because we were so polar opposites in every way. 
Yeah, it's got to be so fun. I mean, kind of knowing and mingling with you and Steven, you guys are definitely fun to be around. But like I said, I love the varied perspective that that brings to your audience. And I think that that's really one of the most powerful things about not being solely an American, but having family that is from abroad, being part of an immigrant community of some sort, whether it's Latin America, Mexico, Asia, India, like I love that it helps us, I feel like, provide a different perspective and a different voice to solving solutions and business problems and relating, whether it's in business or in personal life, like you said. So talking about business, let me just start off by saying being a founder is hard. I don't think that's new to anyone in this room or listening. Easy peasy. And so tell me a little bit about one of the struggles that maybe one put over once you guys started the agency has kind of gone through and how you guys are tackling that struggle or problem. One of the struggles that we've had is growing our team. Because what we do is fairly specialized, we go really deep into strategy. Yeah. It's so hard nowadays, especially in the days after the pandemic. People want to work remote. And before the pandemic, one foot over, we always said we would never be a remote company because we are so collaborative by nature. We would never have everybody everywhere. We're always going to be an in-person company. During the pandemic, we couldn't be. So we were all remote. We were forced to be remote. And now we have found that in order for us to be more competitive in the marketplace for talent, we've had to open it up to remote. And so we actually do have one remote employee and we have a hybrid work environment, which has worked really well. Our remote employee has worked out very well too, but everybody has to be flexible all the time. (laughs) And of course we've had hiccups, but growing a team now, I think it's just hard for any business. If you don't offer that flexible work environment, the better talent. I mean, that's what everybody wants. So the talent is going to go to a place that will have the flexible work environment. That said, because we are so collaborative, we've had to work very hard to make sure that our team is gelling together because they're not in the same place. It's much easier when you're in person. And I think this is actually something that's going to be, as the years go on and we are in this hybrid and remote types of environments, how transient the workforce is going to become because you're not building those relationships with your teammates. You may be on calls all day, every day with them, but there's not any time for that rapport, for that water cooler talk, or even somebody who's walking by your desk and just saying, hey, can we talk about this real quick? Or how are your kids? Or how's your dog? There's none of really that conversation happening. And when it does happen, it does feel a little bit, sometimes can feel disingenuous Mm -hmm. because you're doing it to a screen. I mean, essentially it's what's happening. Sure. Yeah. You're losing that connection that we all get being in person and watching someone's eyes light up when you're telling a story or watching them lean in when you're, you know, telling them something exciting or crazy. Right. And I think sometimes we overlook the importance of that. Another thing that we talked about in a previous conversation was how difficult, especially both having agencies and our companies relying on creative work, which is so collaborative, the difficulty of really getting deep work done Mm -hmm. in this remote environment. I think it's difficult to find team members that have a love for that in the first place, but it definitely seems like it's been challenging for you guys as well, coming out of a pandemic and maybe even going into a recession. Right, exactly. 
So Stephen and I, we do talk about doing deep work, right? So the work that we do, obviously we do a good job at it. And to us, the way that we define that is going deep, going deeper than everybody else would. And that's a natural trait that I've always had and Stephen's always had. And that's really hard, especially when you're busy and you have a laundry list of things to do. You have pages of to-do lists, of tasks to do. It's hard to say, okay, I'm going to sit here and work on something. I'm going to block everything out. I'm going to sit and work on something for two hours, three hours. That's really hard. And that is one of the things that we're having to coach our team on and work through because that's really what our clients pay us for, right? This is where our differentiating factor is. We are not just getting the work done. We're getting the work done well and well thought out. And we do a lot of strategy work. So that takes a lot of brain power. I've said this before to our team is when you think you're done, work a little bit longer and then look at it again and look at it probably a third time because that's probably when you'll be done with it. Yeah. Pushing yourself. Oh, I love that philosophy and just the ability, kind of that gauge for ourselves and kind of check. Okay. I've checked this box off. That's not when the work is done. Going that extra step. Tell me a little bit about maybe something that's been challenging for you as a founder and something that's really kind of come up as a need for you. So thank goodness I have Steven. We have each other to talk to, but that's like a fishbowl environment, right? We, we already have the same, probably same line of thinking. And so what's been really hard is finding community finding a community of people to be able to relate to some of the same problems that we have, work through the same problems we have, because we only have the information that we have internally. For a long time, we yearned for a group of people that we could talk to. We joined CEO roundtables. There's another big group that a lot of people join. I won't say the name. It's with other business leaders, trying to find that community of people that can help you through problems and help you through efficiently, or maybe they've even experienced it before. And that's been really hard to find. We found it in a couple of different places, though. AMA Houston is number one. We have what's called the Agency Forum. It started at the end of 2021, where Houston agencies get together and talk about whatever issues that they're facing. A lot of times it turns into an operational talk, right? How are you doing this operationally? Recently, we found an organization called the Agency Management Institute, and Stephen and I went to one of the workshops, and it was just eye-opening because this organization talks to agencies all over the country, and they collate that all of that information and put together best practices, and they show you really what to do when to hire people. As an owner of a business, a leader in a business, you don't know when to hire somebody. When should you hire somebody? How much profit should you be making? How should you be doing the billing? Or even down to, what about PTO? Do you give PTO? Is it unlimited PTO? What kind of holidays do you give? And so what they do is they tell you and they show you how successful agencies in the country have been doing it and how things have been changing throughout the year. So it's been really great. And then they also have peer groups where they get together and talk through whatever issues that they're facing and then also holding you accountable to what you say you want to do as well. So it's really been super beneficial to be part of that. Wow. That's amazing. Like just invaluable. Like I'm sitting here as a young agency owner thinking, man, there's such a huge need for that. So guys, if you own an agency or you're part of an agency, those two resources firsthand, I'm telling you, amazing, needed. I mean, they give you so much perspective and insight to solve. And sometimes that's all you need. You just need to hear somebody else is going through the same thing to help catalyze you to solve the problem uniquely in your own agency. Because even though there's similar things, there's unique challenges based on your niche or your 
current client database or your culture. There's just so many avenues. So the more information and access to information that you can get to create community and collaborate is super important. So I'm assuming that after you go to some of these conferences and have sat in some of these round tables, you get this mirror kind of held back up to you (laughs) as an agency owner and a leader. Tell me about one of the mistakes that you know you've made thus far that you've become aware of now. It's all around growing the team. I think that Stephen and I, we fall in love fast. (laughs) So we hire fast. You're a kiss on the first dater. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I guess we are. We fall in love fast. And so I think that that's something that we need to work on. We're aware of it. And then we fire too slowly. Mm, that's a yeah, tough one. It is. It's so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody wants to do it. And I think a lot of it is we hope that it does improve as sometimes or most times, and then it just doesn't. And so then it's too long. But that's something that we're working on. In terms of hiring too fast, the way that we have dealt with that is we have actively used recruiters. So the last two people that came on board, we used a recruiter, Stephen Leeper at Matchstick. He was wonderful. It was really a wonderful experience because we were able to have somebody in between, a go-between, so that we don't have to fall in love fast. I mean, it was a time savings too, but I mean, realistically, it's just good to have a a person in between, an agent that is looking out for your own best interests, and then also having those initial conversations, and then kind of going down into the root of what this person is all about. And so we've gotten higher quality candidates from working with a recruiter and have hired two quality candidates that we've been super happy with. That's awesome. Yeah. Having that in-between person to just break up some of the things we can sometimes bury our heads in the sand (laughs) from is pretty awesome. And for the accountability too, what's something you're glad you know now? At this AMI conference, Drew McClellan, who led the workshop, he said that you're either a creative agency or a strategy agency. And that really resonated with me because we were trying to be both and we didn't have that direction. And when we went back to our offices and we were started thinking about what do we excel in, the fact is both of the founders of One Foot Over are strategy people. And so we've really leaned into that and actually repositioning the company altogether and taking on more clients that we really like because of the clients that we really like working with are those strategy-focused companies. And so that's really been super helpful. It has given us direction and One Foot Over has been clearer than it's ever been. Mm, so good. Mm-hmm. I remember this one thing that a business coach of ours told us, Fireside Strategic, Dan King, we love you and Lisa, said, When your phone rings, you see the client that's calling on the caller ID and you get genuinely happy. Those are the type of clients that you need to maintain and keep looking for. The moment that you start to dread those phone calls is when you know you're not able to deliver at that high level that you're talking about. And so that's been something that's kind of changed the game for me, too, in the realm of what you're talking about. It's just that you have to be extremely clear on the type of work you want to do and who you want to do it for. Tell me, what's a fear that you have being in business? Going bankrupt. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) yeah, it's a reality. It's Mm -hmm. a reality. You're leveraged. Getting into business is risky Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we're on the cusp of a recession. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're 
essentially in a recession. Yeah, we feel it. I mean, it's all the indicators are there that we are in a recession. And I lived through the Great Recession. I was in business and part of the management team of an agency at that point. And we lost something like 40 clients in two weeks because we were an automotive the time. So it was really a terrible time. It felt like it was a coming of age for me mm-hmm. because at that time I was in my twenties and really kind of getting my legs under me. And that was such a horrible time. So, so bad. If you lived through that, it was being on automotive or construction, real estate, those were all just horrible industries to be in. And I was in one of those. And what I learned from that was to diversify. (laughs) And so when you ask me, what's my biggest fear in business? I mean, it's true. It really is bankruptcy. And so what we have done is we've built our agency so that in a recession, if recession comes, we might lose one or two clients or a few clients, but we are not so concentrated in any industry that it will make a huge dent in our everyday agency life the types of clients we choose to work with, the size of clients we choose to work with. We've been very intentional on that. And so, yes, there's a recession coming and people are going to pull back. Naturally, people always pull back marketing during recession. They should not, to be clear, they should not, but they do and they will. So I'm not worried that there's a recession coming up. We're just going to have to tighten our belts a little bit, but it won't be so horrible. I'm, I'm not scared of it now because I did see what could happen in a much worse environment. Yeah, definitely. I was, com- I'm going to date myself here. <laughs> I was coming into the workforce during that recession and it was awful. I mean, you could not find employment anywhere. You were competing against people who were much more senior than you in experience. It was terrible. And so I have a different perspective of that. But the same thing that you mentioned has been a huge focus of ours, diversifying clients, even not just industries, but making sure that you have no one client, one of those all-star clients that holds half of your books that can be very risky to get into, especially going into an economic time like we are. So I love to hear the additional advice that diversifying by industry is super important too. So thank you for that. We could probably go on and on about all the difficulties of being in business because let's face it, it's really hard. But knowing some of the difficulties, there are some high times too. Why do you do it as a business owner? It's not about the money because I don't think that if you own a business and you're doing it just for the money, you could ever be successful. You're chasing the wrong thing. You have to enjoy doing what you're doing. For me, I want to build something. That's really what gives me the fuel to get up every day and go to work. And there's never a day where I dread going to work and that's wonderful. This is the thing that really drives me the most is I want to build something. I want to look back at my time and say, hey, I did that. (laughs) So good. Javi, thank you so much for being on the show. Before I let you go, I do want to let people know where can they find or connect you? What's the best way to hear about you, hear about One Foot Over or connect with you online? One Foot Over is on every social channel as Get One Foot Over at Get One Foot Over, except for Twitter. We don't tweet. Don't at us there. (laughs) (laughs) And then you can find me on all of the social channels at Hami Arrington. 
Gotcha. And then we are big on resources, 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 tactical things that our audience can do to improve. So give us some of your best resources that you can think of right now. So first, you need to go to getonefootover.com and sign up for our weekend reading email list. We send out one email every Saturday morning and it has the best marketing articles and some funny things too. It's a joy to read, I think. I've heard about this newsletter through the grapevine. So I can attest to the fact that people say it's very good. I'm going to go sign up as soon as well. You really should. It's really fun to put together. And then two books. One is Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Your ego is going to get in your way. You're mm. never too high to do something. Mm. I always thought that, but Ryan Holiday solidified that for me. And then a life-changing book I'm always talking about is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. That's just a wonderful book. It's really a reference book for me that I go back to over and over again. I also recommend you listen to it on audiobook because there is a version where Dale Carnegie actually reads it. And it is super fun because this book was written so long ago. So fun. Love it. Hami, thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you, Sarah. It's been fun. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to know how to get involved and share your story, head over to our website at b2bgrowthhacks.com. Also, while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest conversations happening here on B2B Growth Hacks. This podcast is sponsored by Speaker Rocks Media where we hand-build podcasts just like this one to create online communities for brands like yours. If you'd like to learn more, head over to speakerboxmedia.com.